You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Retail Disrupted. It has been a week since the podcast launched, and I want to start off by saying a huge thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for coming back. And thank you for all of the messages that you've sent through. It's it's just been so nice to hear from you and get your thoughts on the show. So please do keep them coming. Now, today I have a very special guest joining me on the show. I thought if I could convince her to write a book with me, then I could convince her to come on the podcast. Considerably less effort, right? <laughs> Maya Knights author, consultant, and publisher of retailtechnology.co.uk joins me today to break down some of the big stories that are reshaping retail. Maya, it's so great to have you on the show and thank you for being my first guest. Oh my goodness, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. I, um, I'm really, really, really pleased to be your first guest. I, as you said, given the fact that we've, we've spent so much time together over the past sort of five or so years, I think it's only right and fitting that we should uh, have your inaugural um, podcast chat. Happy <laughs> awesome. to help. Oh, no. Thank you, Maya. It's great. You could be my guinea pig for the day. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Absolutely. No problems. Cool. Now, Maya, you know, you are my go-to person for all things retail tech, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation and to picking your brain. Um, but first, perhaps you can just kick us off by sharing a bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, great. Thank you, Natalie. Um, yeah, as you said, you know, I'm just really happy to be here. I've been looking at um, the intersection of retail and technology for about 25, 26 years, started off as a journalist, then went into analysis, where I was research director. Um, then we got into writing books, didn't we? Wrote a book about <laughs> Amazon, which is on its second edition, came out last year. Um, that's been published in 17 languages, so I'll put that plug in there for both of us. And, <laughs> Thanks, and off the, yeah, No worries. And off the back of that, I wrote another fairly successful book called Omnichannel Retail, How to Build Winning Stores in the Digital World, which is a lot more to do about data, customer data, whereas Amazon, I think, is more to do about how to sell to us using digital. And mm -hmm. um, Omnichannel Retail came out uh, 20, back end of 2019, and since then, I've just been busy retailtechnology.co.uk which I owned and bought when I was a, an editor back in the day and doing lots of consultancy speaking and more or less the kind of things you do you know popping up all sorts mm. of places to um, to hopefully help retailers um, better fit their technology uh, usage application and specification to to their needs and to our needs as consumers as well. Mm. And I know, Maya, you've been really busy lately, haven't you? When we spoke the other day, you were telling me that you had a bit of an epic journey to Dusseldorf for Euroshop. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the thing about technology um, that retailers use, there's a lot of um, trade show activity, just like there is in any industry, I suppose. But given the busy sort of golden quarter that retailers have at, 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 towards the end of every year, it's kind of like the shackles come off in, in regards to, to shows so they can find out what the latest innovations are, see what the vendors are trying to, um, what they've developed and are trying to sell them. So from January, it goes a bit banzai, really. I was in New York for the National Retail Federation, um, Retail's Big Show. And then, yeah, I was um, in Dusseldorf for Euroshop. 
um, about two weeks ago, um, which was fun because there was a, um, a, a union strike in the airport. So those people <laughs> had to come in from elsewhere. I flew into Frankfurt and then spent the day traveling across Germany um, and came back with a stinky cold. But no, it was it was it's, it's, been, it's been really, really good to one for the covers to come off of travel so people can actually get to these shows in real life definitely in person um and two therefore to be able to see you know what's coming down the pipe in terms of the latest innovations for um helping retailers run their businesses better and sell us more stuff yeah yeah absolutely absolutely we've got um retail week live coming up here in the uk in a couple weeks and then of course next month the retail technology show so as you say Mm -hmm. it just uh it gets to be a little bit crazy this time of year with all these conferences but also great to as you say get back in person see people reconnect and and uh yeah just be back together in in real life yeah absolutely absolutely cool okay maya are you ready to talk shop Let's talk shop. Absolutely. <laughs> Always ready to talk shop, Natalie, especially with you. Always. Awesome. Okay, well, let's move on to the retail news round then. So this is where we're going to share three retail headlines that caught our eye and discuss the implications for the wider sector. So first up is the news that UK health and beauty retailer Boots is revamping its loyalty scheme. Now, a little bit of background uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of how they're revamping this scheme. Uh, their Advantage card program has been around for a long time. It's been around for over 25 years. They have more than 15 million active members, and it's traditionally been one of the more generous loyalty programs out there. So you used to be able to collect 4p worth of loyalty points for every one pound spent, and you would accumulate these points, and then every once in a while you'd be able to treat yourself uh, while you're in the store. Now, for me personally, Maya, I don't know about you. I'm not, I, I have to admit, I don't always get my loyalty cards out or, you know, scan apps at, at the checkout. Sometimes I forget. But with Boots, I always make an effort because I know those points do rack up pretty quickly. Mm. Um, but with Boots, so the, the news now, the change that they're making, and this is a big change, they've said that from May, they'll be reducing this to 3P instead of 4P. So 3P for every one pound spent. But to soften that blow, they also announced that cardholders will be able to earn 10% off own label products. So they're steering shoppers towards uh, those, those own brands. And they'd also, they'll also be able to um, get exclusive savings on hundreds of products with their price advantage. So Maya, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think um, the headlines have kind of taken, you know, there's been kind of two different ap- approaches to this news. Uh, you know, what's your take? Do you think this is reflective of a shift in consumer behavior where shoppers want instant value and real-time rewards? Or do you think, or, or maybe it's both, but do you think this is also maybe a sign that loyalty schemes are just too costly to run? Yeah, I, I have to say to you, Natalie, I mean, you and I know I'm a complete cynic, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we probably should let the, let, the, let the listeners know this as well as a kind of um, caveat to my answer. Um, I don't, I... Given where we are in terms of consumer price sensitivity as a result of the cost of living crisis, Mm. um, I am not surprised by this move. I don't think it's got more to do with boots saving money than it's got to do with us and our trends. I mean, if if you listen to and, 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 and read any of these surveys, listen to any of the vendors in the loyalty space, they're all saying that loyalty is more and more more important those that have for the last five six seven years those that have got loyalty schemes have been doubling down on them initially 
um, at the beginning was to find out more about us so that we could, through the information we share about what we buy, what we search for, what we get our loyalty cards out for in terms of trying to get the discounts on, helps retailers sell, sell us more of what we want helps us helps them sell to us better but latterly particularly post pandemic as we've moved into you know more um, uh, macroeconomic instability you've seen consumers really look to their loyalty schemes to double down on, on savings to try and save every last penny they absolutely can so the the, the idea that boots has gone just you know chop 25 percent worth of value off our, off the advantage cards because it's what you want as consumers it's, it's, it's laughable it's got more to do with yeah. the fact that they obviously you know like you said um need to save money that these that these schemes have been a little bit are becoming a bit too good to be true um and in terms of unpacking some of the stuff that you, you kind of started to mention in the in the in the intro there um obviously now they're they're trying to save money by lopping 25% um, worth of value off of the, the points. They're trying to push you towards own brand. And we're seeing this um, this trend towards you know, preferential, if not personalised pricing come through um, in health and beauty, where we've seen it really made inroads, make inroads through Tesco's um, club car pricing in grocery. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I think that's really interesting. And it's it, again, it shows how technology can make that whole experience, uh, you know, more personalized and and also to avoid retailers from doing that whole kind of blanket discounting. Uh, and also, I think from a shopper, you feel a little bit special when you think, oh, this is a, you know, a personal uh, real time personalized promotion or, or price just for me. So um, perhaps more effective from that perspective as well. And I think um, it was interesting boots, you know, they've said that that. 70 when it comes to buying on label and you, you know you touched on the fact that shoppers are shopping as smartly as they can right now they're buying on label they're buying on promotion um and boots said that 70 percent of their advantage card members regularly buy their their own labels it accounts for one in five items in their baskets and since um i think it was in the first quarter of this year they've seen a 35 percent increase in own label products so of course you know shoppers are you know they're trying to to save money and cut back and shop in a, a smarter way and i think all of this is reflective of the what's you know the, the current climate um yeah. but yeah so you're a cynic mario you're saying this is this is all about them <laughs> trying well, to cut back and save a bit true i mean it's interesting what you say about the 70 percent buy that buy their own labels and one in five products in the basket is boots is a boots own product i think we've seen I think you'd agree that we've seen a lot of research over the last sort of 18 months or so about how consumers are more willing to trade, for want of a better way of putting it, trade down. So move away from branded goods to try and find dupes and to try and find own label um, equivalents that are cheaper. Um, it's all about it's all about price, isn't it, really? You know, they talk, we just talked about three P's in retail for so, for so long, the first of which is always price. You've got to strip out price before you find any other meaningful nuance to what consumers want from retailers. And I think price has just become even higher a priority for consumers now. So, yeah, to your point, I think they, they have listened. They can see that that's happening. And I would go back to my original comment, which is that they're hedging their bets. So they're trying to give us more of what we want. They're trying, which is beneficial for them because it steers them towards their own goods, reinforcing brand loyalty to boots as opposed to branded product loyalty. But in doing so, they're also trying to cut the costs 
of operating the scheme. So, yeah, I mm. think it's, it's, it, you could look at it like a win-win, if I'm being less cynical <laughs> in that sense. It's a win for Boots, it's a win for us. But I am being cynical and I'm taking a step back and I'm saying at the, the bottom line is they've locked 25% of the value mm. points as well. So, you know, what they've given with one hand, perhaps the, the best way of you know summing this one up is that they've taken away with the other. <laughs> mm. Let's bring in another interesting development in the loyalty space, just just very briefly, because last month we heard that M&S is mm. um, they're quietly testing the subscription service called Sparks Plus. Now, that's separate to their regular free Spark scheme, which I think has been yeah. really, really successful for M&S. Um, but just to run through, the, again, the facts with Sparks Plus, and, and we can bring this back to Boots and, and just talk about the future of loyalty more generally. But Sparks Plus is interesting. So you pay £120. Um, you pay this up front. It's an annual fee. So again, it's more expensive than something like Amazon Prime, which is £95 here in the UK. For that, you get a £10 monthly voucher to redeem in store. So you can theoretically recoup that annual fee after a year. Um, you get unlimited next day delivery. You get a free hot drink if you're in their cafe, double charity donations, exclusive invites to stores, store events, that sort of thing. What I, I don't know. What do you think? Are, are there sort of... I, I don't know. To me, I guess to me, my take is that I, I get what MS is trying to do here. And I, mm. I absolutely applaud like all the efforts to reinvent loyalty because we I think we know we've talked about this a lot, Maya. We wrote about it in the book that the days of, um, you know, accumulating points over months and months and months and then getting you know a five pound voucher in the mail. It's just not it's not how it's not what shoppers want. We want real time rewards. We want that instant uh, the instant value. And that exists today. Right. In so many forms. But I think you can understand why a retailer like M&S would be looking to take a leaf from Amazon's book and emulate the phenomenal success that they've had with Prime. With Prime, Amazon customers, you know, they spend more, they buy more frequently, they uh, they have Prime blinders on where they make Amazon their first port of call when they're shopping online. And most importantly, they they look to get value from their membership. They've already paid that upfront annual fee, and that just makes them want to kind of get value and justify that fee by spending more with Amazon. So I can I can understand why a retailer like M&S would look to try to do something similar with its shoppers. But I guess, you know, you also have to bear in mind that Amazon Prime is, it's the glue of Amazon's ecosystem. And it's about so much more than just free shipping. In fact, one of my favorite quotes from the book, Maya, was, I can't remember who who said it now, but it was an Amazon, Amazon exec who said that shoppers come for the free shipping and they stay for digital. So Amazon has, you know, very cleverly over the years invested in digital content and various other ways to make that prime proposition incredibly sticky. And I just feel, without sounding too harsh, I just feel that the M&S uh, proposition in its current form, because remember, it is a test. Uh, it's just, it's probably just lacking a little something. <laughs> You're making me cynical, Maya. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm glad, to be honest with you, um, Natalie, I'm glad it's rubbing off. Um, my, After all these my, years. Yeah, my one my one word answer is just meh. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I think it's funny you said, oh, Marks and Spencer's had success with Sparks. Um, like, have they really? Have they? Okay, if they're getting to know their customers and they've got a certain, you know, a certain, uh, they've managed to scale to a cohort of customers that have the Sparks um, uh, loyalty card, then that's great. But when I walk into, very rarely, when I walk into Marks and Spencer's, do I see branding about the the Sparks scheme? I don't really understand what the 
benefits and the advantages are. And when you go through the um, the the extra benefits that you'll get from Sparks Plus, I just think, meh, why? I mean, if you are an app, if you love, if you cut me and I bleed Marks and Spencers, then maybe, but... <sighs> I'm putting together. I'm putting my reaction together with the fact that w- I think the industry knows that Marks and Spencers has been struggling to play catch up in regards to omni-channel, in regards to um, us as consumers embracing digital and, and, and being voracious online shoppers. The UK um, is the most voracious online shopping country in the world. It still has the largest percentage of. Um, total retail sales going online, which I think is about 27, 28% now. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, they've been, you know, they've really had to uprate their offer very, very quickly to compare, to compete with the likes of, of Amazon. And um, mm. I just don't think there's enough when you talk about, you know, when you, when you just there compared, you know, they stay, um, gave us that, that quote from that executive in our book about, you know, they come for the free delivery and they stay for, um, they stay for, for, for all the other stuff that, that goes out, that, that forms the flywheel, whether it's pres- prescriptions or Amazon video, Prime video, whatever it might be. I just don't see that there's enough of a halo around the Marks and Spencer's proposition. I mean, does that £10 month, um, does, so does that £10 monthly voucher apply to Ocado shops? Does the, does the free delivery apply to my Ocado delivery too? Then maybe you're starting to yeah. think, add some value in there. But if it's just the clothes, then I'm really, the clothes and the shoes in store, if you buy direct from Marks and Spencer, again, that just, do you see what I mean? As we start to talk it through, I'm just confused. I don't really understand. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that monthly voucher expires as well. So there is actually a risk that you end up losing. I, I feel, I mean, you know, to be fair to MS, I think it is a test. They have said that there are going to be other kind of exclusive benefits to shoppers. So I think if they layer on some additional discounts, something to entice them, but I just feel like that's a lot of money up, up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm a pretty loyal MS shopper. You know, I buy the kids you know, every like, school uniform, shoes, pants, you know, Percy Pig. You know, I am loyal. I am kind of their prime shopper, but um, I just feel like if they, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Liberty Beauty Box. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's, so that's kind of similar because you pay 20 pounds a month and that's also totally redeemable. But on top of the 20 pounds a month that you then get to, you know, you eventually spend on products, um, you get four boxes a year and there's the whole kind of discovery aspect. And I think that's yeah. that's pretty cool and that's quite sticky yeah. and, and unique. So I don't know. We'll see where it goes, I think. We'll see. We'll see. I think, you know, just just picking up very quickly on that point, because I know you don't want to labor it, but um, mm-hmm. think about the brand cachet attached to a Liberties versus someone who's a little bit more middle of the road, um, mediocre as M&S. And if I'm already spending... Uh, money on a prime membership i might stretch um you know i might fit be ease, more easily stretched to pay for a liberties uh membership because liberties is above and beyond there is no overlap with prime do you see what i mean yes. whereas i think yeah. the space that marks and spencers occupies very much competes with prime and so i think they're gonna yeah until they add they can they can add in a lot more tangible value at the, at the price point it is, I think that they've bitten off a lot more than they, than, than they can actually chew at the moment competitively. Yeah. 
Interesting. Great. Thank you, Maya. Okay, we're going to shift gears now and uh, talk about something very techy. So you are the perfect person to have on the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about something that is absolutely everywhere at the moment, and that is chat GPT. Now, before mm-hmm. I go any further, Maya, please explain to me in plain English, what is chat GPT? Oh, my goodness. What is chat GPT? It, it is a, a chatbot developed by an open source organization called OpenAI. It launched in November 2022. And it's, um, I suppose, by putting uh, this chatbot out into the wild, um, it is really the very first time we as regular Joes have been able to play with a really, really, really powerful artificial intelligence engine. I mean, we're up to version four now, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around what that means because it now includes video. It will apparently automatically be able to splice video together for you. But essentially, being a chatbot, um, you would ask it to produce, um, to chat to you about something, and you can use the chatbot responses in any way, shape or form you like. I think I've seen a lot of people um, talk about using it to write copy anywhere that you have content that you need to produce content. You could look to chat, chat be GPT to, to help you with that. Um, and at the like the really messy end, the really kind of scary end is we're here. We've also heard um, there have been a couple of news reports about some news news websites actually using chat. GPT to write news stories, which is this is kind of like the you know the hor- the horror side of, of where <laughs> this could end up, but um, hopefully that gives you a bit of a a primer as to what it is. It's 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 a it's a chatbot on steroids. It's, it has access Gosh. to absolutely every piece of content indexed on the internet ever. So it should be the cleverest chatbot in the world. <laughs> Gosh, it, it does sound scary. I have to admit. Um, now I, it's interesting you mentioned about the um, oh gosh. I'm going to show my lack of technical uh, knowledge here, but the latest release, is that what we're calling it? The latest release of ChatGPT, ChatGPT4, because I was reading that it can apparently pass the bar exam, like in the 90th percentile, it can do your taxes and it can write a novel like in seconds. So, I mean, it all sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, dystopian and yeah, but um, I agree. (laughs) <laughs> one, of, one of the cool things, and we'll come on to why we're talking about it uh, today, aside from the fact that it is everywhere and it's dominating the news. But I thought one of the cool things about um, ChatGPT4 is this new feature called Virtual Volunteer. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen this yet or if you've heard about it. No, fill me in. Yeah. So, okay. So Virtual Volunteer is basically like if a user sends a picture of the inside of their fridge, this virtual volunteer will identify what's in it. Um, and then it extrapolates and analyzes what can be prepared with those ingredients. Uh, and then, and then it gets even better. Then it offers you recipes and gives you a step-by-step guide on how to make them. So I thought that was really cool and, you know, potentially maybe a way to reduce food waste as well. Yeah. So, you know, you can start to see the the many use cases. Yeah. Yeah, great. So I guess the reason why we're talking about today is because um, obviously it's it's going to hit retail pretty hard. And I think the grocers have actually been the ones to dive in and, and really um, test it and see, you know, see where it can go. Uh, Instacart in the U.S. is the most recent player uh, in the retail mm-hmm. space to trial. Uh, trial this technology. So they mm-hmm. said that they are going to be launching a new feature called Ask Instacart. And yeah. this will 
allow users to ask questions, um, things around, you know, budgets, nutrition, recipes, that sort of thing. Um, and instead of producing a list of search engine results, the responses will come in the form of a dialogue. So I think it'll definitely feel um, more engaging and, and, you know, hopefully <laughs> a bit more relevant. Now, before I'm going to, I'm going to ask you your take on this, Maya, but I just want to um, read out a quote from JJ Zwang, who is Instacart's chief architect. Now, he was quoted in the Wall Street Journal saying that when you think about grocery shopping, it takes a lot of thinking and planning. It is a perfect use case for smart AI because it's a lot of cognitive load. Now, that is a phrase I can relate to, cognitive mm. load. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, but then he goes on to cite many factors that uh, that go into buying groceries. So everything from household budgets to health and nutrition implications, cooking skills, meal prep times, and so on. So I can start to see, as a total layman, I can start to see how this can be attractive to retailers. So, Maya, what's your take on the Instacart news? Do you think it's worth a try or are they just sort of contributing to the hype? Oh, my God, of course it's worth a try. Of course it's worth a try. I mean, there's so much. When you think about content um, and used in, in, in a B2C context to sell more stuff to us, there's so much content that that's required and it's you know it has expanded exponentially as we've um you know branched out into um online shopping websites and mobile apps which which kind of need you know even richer content than um your pure sort of transactional type content in terms of, in terms of selling us a product you know what is it um provenance information allergy information ingredient information etc cetera, etc cetera. so I I think yeah the, the the potential is is huge. I would split it down the middle, and I would say that retailers are um, using it kind of in the back end, and then they're looking to use it in terms of speeding up um, uh, and making more efficient their interactions with us in the front end. So, mm -hmm. for example, Carrefour. Um, the French grocer, to your point, grocers have, you know, they, they're the ones um, diving into this health for leather, um, are experimenting with chat, GPT and generative AI to create videos that answer common customer questions. I think that's a, a really interesting, clever one. But at the same time, um, Shopify has just released um, a feature that, not i don't think it uses chat gpt please get in touch and let me know if i'm wrong but it, it it's based on the same principle where it generates product descriptions from a list of keywords or product descriptors so that you can populate the information about the products on your website more efficiently more quickly and hopefully more accurately as well so there's a huge okay. amount of applications that you can use here not only to run your business better but also to interact and engage with the consumers in a much, much more granular way. Um, the final thing I will say, though, is that I do believe, I mean, even Google, who, um, who have been, has been experimenting with AI for, for so long, talks about their AI engines as being human-assisted. And mm. the one thing I would uh, uh, disagree with you on, um, not disagree, obviously, it, if, if you say it can write a novel, and I'm sure it can write a novel, um, I wouldn't dispute that, but how good would the novel be? 
everything yeah. I've seen that chat G everything I've seen chat GPT um, produce and this is coming from somebody who took an English literature degree and might <laughs> feel that this kind of thing is coming for my job um, mm. will tell you a lot about it chat GPT wants to let you know that it knows a lot about a lot mm. but will it be able to give you a considered expert subject matter expert opinion no I really yeah. don't think so so you know to the point to the example of a novel it could probably work out what would make a good beginning a good middle and a good end but would that that story that it pieced together be compelling enough presumably if it chooses the most popular stories on the internet aggregates from there you'd hope it would do but I think when it comes to um more complex tasks um, in terms of engagement and interaction with consumers, there's always going to need to be a handoff to a human being. So I'm not too yeah. worried in, in that respect. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, I'm a little bit worried because I don't know if you listen to, uh, I know we both know Oliver Banks, who does the Retail Transformation Show podcast. He recently had an episode where he his, um, his guest was Chat GPT, and he had a whole yeah. entire interview with, with her. I'm going to say her as a female sounding voice. And um, <laughs> he asked, what the future of retail was. And I have to admit, I felt a little bit nervous about, <laughs> about my future. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Um, yeah. So I just want to go back, Maya, just briefly to your point around the human touch, because I you mentioned the car for um, their first a chat GPT generated video, uh, which I think came out just last month. I spotted it on LinkedIn. And that's also interesting. Again, I think it's, I guess, two things. One, it's interesting that grocers have been quick to take that plunge. And I guess that makes sense because they have such a diverse customer base and they have a huge product assortment, right? So the idea of kind of sifting through, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of products and coming up with personalized recommendations, that's quite laborious and, and not very fun. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely see the use case in grocery and I can see why a lot of retailers are experimenting. Um, also on the e-commerce side, I know you mentioned um, Shopify. I think JD.com in China is also um, yeah. doing, you know, using it for similar kind of product descriptions and writing marketing copies, so marketing copies. So that's also interesting. Yeah. And the human touch, though, just to go back to the Carrefour video. Now, I watched it and I did live in France for a little bit and studied French. So based on my uh, my <laughs> limited French, I think I was able to translate. Um, they asked what the, the question was, how could I as a customer eat better and cheaper at Carrefour? And actually, the answers, I mean, they were fairly simplistic, but they were good. It was like, you know, buy private label, buy on promotion, buy vegetarian instead of buying meat, that sort of thing. Um, but I was thinking, like, again, the cynic in me is coming out here. But I was thinking, well, what if it said, go to the discounters like Aldi and Little and buy from them? <laughs> you know, you would clearly need if you're, a, you're you know, if you're a car four, you need that kind of human oversight right now to make sure that, yeah. uh, you know, they're not saying things you don't want them to say, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. we'll see. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one last quick thing that I would say generally with AI, I've, I've come up the last sort of 10, 15 years up against a huge amount of resistance in retailers. Don't I won't have an AI engine tell me what my customers want. I know my mm. customers and AI engine can't do that. And frankly, I always say AI right now, even to the level of sophistication that we've reached with ChatGPT is good for like you said, um, filtering and sifting a huge amount of information in the most efficient way, but equally um, in terms of um, management, it, it helps retailers manage by exception. 
So you would yes. hopefully let the AI run and then surface the things that it can see is going wrong. And again, back to the point that I think we both agree on, you're always going to need a human being to, mm. um, to, 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 to make sense of this, to, 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 um, to evaluate whether or not the answers are right. But yeah, I think, you know, retailers need to start embracing this stuff more, but realise that um, it, need, it, it, helps them, it helps them operate at scale, manage by exception, and give their human beings, their people, their most expensive asset, the best capabilities possible to 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 make, you know, proper data driven um, Mm. decisions. Definitely. Great. Great. Okay. thank you. So we're going to move on to the final story. And for that, we are going to be turning to Spain. So this is an interesting one. So Barcelona City Council has announced plans to cut emissions from delivery vehicles in half by 2030. So that sounds pretty ambitious. And in order to achieve this goal, they will be looking at doing something uh, pretty radical, in my view. So they said that by 2030, 40% of online orders will be delivered to collection points instead of people's homes. And so in order to do that, they're going to create a network of collection points so that everyone has one within 200 meters of their home. Now, Maya, we all know how inefficient home delivery is. Mm. It's costly. It's not very climate friendly. And of course, with e-commerce absolutely surging in recent years, that puts even more pressure on retailers and and governments to take action. So what do you think? Do you think this will work? Are they too ambitious? Oh, my goodness. I don't think it's too ambitious at all. Well, first of all, um, thanks so much for bringing this to my attention. I wouldn't have, um, this would have passed me by had you not sort of highlighted it for our chat today. Um, and, and I think I think it's exactly what we need. We need huge amount of ambition. We need some visionary thinking. We need to start thinking out of the box. I think the reason why it's so um, groundbreaking is because you've actually got municipal authority saying that they want to take some responsibility and have a hand to play in making their city more efficient as regards home delivery. Um, Mm. You know, Sadiq Khan, are you listening, frankly? Mm. Um, And I've spoken to both retailers and 3PLs, the carriers, about how difficult it has been they realized the need for micro fulfillment over the last mile um, and lots and lots and lots and lots of little urban micro fulfillment hubs that are closer that get the product closer to the customer before it heads off on its last mile um, to the point where you know a DHL has to get in touch with transport for London and go um, you know those arches who owns those mm. Transport for London goes, oh, I don't know. DHL <laughs> goes, um, you do. Can we re- can we lease it off of you? And they're like, oh, well, we didn't even know we owned it. We're going to have to, you know, work out what's going on with the land registry, then work out leasing terms and conditions and blah, blah. And by the time all these stakeholders get to the point where an agreement is reached, you know, it, 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 it's, beca- it's, it's onerous. It's onerous for the retailers and the 3PLs to actually set up these kinds of networks, mm. um, whether you know, it's the kind of spoken hub network that we've been advocating for for years. So to see a municipal authority like Barcelona sort of um, grasp an issue like this by, by, the, by the neck and really, really decide to tackle it in this way is great. I really think it's absolutely what we need. And I don't know about you as a consumer, but me, if you told me that my nearest pickup point for, um, my, uh, for, for, my, for my online order was you know, five minutes walk down the street, I'd love it. 
yes please more more of that yeah really yeah like. absolutely and and also i guess i was just thinking out loud here it also you know it takes out that whole risk of missing the delivery right i mean that's the beauty yep. of click and collect generally but if you know that you only have to walk a couple hundred meters at most i mean that's not too inconvenient for most people so uh kind of kind of um ticks both boxes in that sense yeah, uh, and interesting and oh sorry go ahead maya sorry no i was just gonna say very quick jump in there and probably help retailers cop um, cost of returns as well if they can get the uh, the reverse logistics side of it built baked into that 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 scheme as well yeah that's a really good point yeah oh and there's a lot of there's been a lot of innovation in that space I know here in the UK I think it was last year it might have been the year before I think the years are starting to uh, <laughs> to all blur post-covid <laughs> um, but I know Royal Mail is doing uh, free collection you know if you want to return you, you can arrange to have uh, that done through the Royal Mail that have your collections um, picked up from your home so you don't even have to go to the post office so um i don't know it's a little bit of push and pull isn't it because in some ways there's this always it's always this way isn't it the kind of quest for um making it as easy and seamless and frictionless as possible for the customer because you know let's face it everyone's trying to keep up with amazon um but also making things actually putting a little bit of friction back into the experience so that shoppers make more mindful decisions when it comes to things like, uh, you know, green delivery and, and cutting back on the number of returns and getting rid of this whole, in fashion at least, getting rid of this whole kind of um, buy to try mentality. So, you know, there's a lot to kind of unpick there. But um, yeah. I think, you know, to your point around micromobility, I think we should call out here that Amazon is actually making really big strides here when it comes to um, decarbonization generally. So, I know they're, you know, I mean, I'm not going to list through all the amazing things that they've done, but they have, to be fair to them, they have electrified or they're in the process of electrifying their fleet of delivery vehicles. They've obviously got that stake in um, EV maker Rivian, uh, and that's probably helping to accelerate things. But here in Europe, I think it's interesting. They've been rolling out these micromobility hubs, uh, not just here in the UK, but also in France and Italy. And um, Amazon has actually said that e-cargo bikes and on-foot deliveries are now operational from these hubs in more than 20 cities across Europe. So things are, I think, are quietly kind of transforming. And and also going back to Barcelona, they've also made the point that um, they want to increase the number of delivery bikes tenfold. And also, this is another interesting point we haven't talked about yet, but also have an urban delivery service on their rail network. So again, getting cars off the road, getting all of those kind of white vans delivering those countless cardboard boxes and and really looking to you know accept the fact that e-commerce is here to stay but we need to we need to clean up that final mile so interesting yeah stuff. yeah very interesting so many different stakeholders involved it's great to see Barcelona leading the way in this in this way great well listen Maya thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for being my first ever guest uh it's been great to talk shop I know we could be here for hours but uh, hopefully I can entice you back for uh, a second visit yeah, absolutely. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you, Natalie, you know, shooting the breeze, putting the retail world to rights. You know, I think most people that know us know that we love to do that. And um, so they've gotten a little bit of a taste, taste of us doing that um, uh, between the two of us. It's always a good, always good fun to talk to you, Talk Shop. Thanks for having me. Awesome. For letting me be your first guest. Oh, great. Thanks again, Maya. Take care. You too. All the best. Thank you for listening to Retail Disrupted. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a rating or review or share it with others. It really makes a difference.